Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content if available at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I feel like we got punished a little. Because yeah, what for we, exactly? Do you know? I mean, uh, that's what I've been trying to Well, I think out. in general we deserve it. So there is just that out there in the universe, you know, uh, the karma that we've built over the years. Not great. Um, Speak for yourself, pal. <laughs> but we got UFC 291 and it was awesome. Really? Yeah. Just perfect. Great card. And so we bounce into UFC on ESPN, and it's like, uh, you know, the font, Sanic and Font, it's like, hey, this looks pretty good. This looks like a nice time. I'm here. You know what? I just had the pay-per-view. Now you're, you're in Nashville. You're going into a live arena. I'm feeling the love. You had to actually book this card to fill seats. I like it. And it sucked. And it was all right. You know, Corey Sandhagen versus Rob Font was not all right. It, it was it was a letdown. It's look, it's I, I was capable of enjoying that fight in a, in a from a very intellectual remove. Yeah, oh, God, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm smart because I enjoyed it. No, I'm saying <laughs> yeah. in the way that I enjoyed it was certainly not a visceral experience. Yeah, I was just like, oh, wow, what Corey Sandhagen is doing is really impressive. And it's it's boring. You know, yeah. it is absolutely boring. But hey, kudos! You fought a flawless fight, really. Uh, completely dominated and took basically no damage in the process. It was this weird thing where these two—we'll talk about this in our bonus, of course. Yeah, yeah. These two like aggressive approaches just kind of bounced off each other, really, uh, and resulted in this weird neutral, um, slightly one-sided kind of fight. But I will take those, you know, honestly, I, I can't I struggle in this modern UFC environment. I struggle to complain about those cards because at least I yeah. have some reason to watch these boring fights. No, it, it, it's true. It, it was imbued with purpose. Yeah, it, had, it was a meaningful boredom. Plus, our boy Dustin Jacoby got a, a beautiful KO. He did. He did. He did win big for us on a fight yeah. that a lot of people I heard afterward. People were like, I can't couldn't believe you picked him. Yeah. It's like, well, hey, hey. Well, sometimes we know a thing or two. Sometimes our blatant favoritism pays off. That's right. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying, like, this to me, it feels like punishment to me because then we walk we walk over to this card, and I don't think either of us can pretend to be excited for this. No, no. No, but quite walking, the opposite, in fact. There are some things about this main event, which we'll get into, that are, in fact, quite depressing to think yeah. about. Yeah. 
and but I can't like I I can't turn my back and you know I can't look at that Sanhagen versus Font card without <laughs> thinking that there is a there is a trickster god out there in the universe. It's like oh you thought that was good yeah well here's something and it was bad well here's something bad and guess what you have no idea it's you know the, it's the Nelk boys those are those are the twin trickster gods of MMA. Yeah, no kidding. Like they're sewing Discord. God, we all thought they were so cool when we first learned about them, too. Did we? I don't know. I still don't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't forget the word Nelk. Yeah, it's a terrible it's, word. Sounds like a certain type of Midwesterner even more mispronouncing the word milk. But, um, uh, yeah, this, it, this Luke a, RDA. It sucks. It, <laughs> It is a pure Apex filler card. Yeah. We, our producer was just teasing us that there's one ranked fight on it, only only for us to discover there are no ranked fights on this card. Yeah, not really. Because Luke and RDA and Roundtree and Dowkhouse are all four of them ranked, but they're all ranked in different divisions. So they're not actually... I mean, there will be a ranking on the line in each fight. Sure. But they are not, you know... Yeah, Chris Dowcast is not a ranked light heavyweight. Yeah, uh, RDA is not a ranked welterweight. So there really is not a lot. And the other two are, uh, I have to assume, benefiting from the fact that the UFC, unlike every other combat sport um, out there, every other promotion uses a top fifteen ranking for each division and not yes. a top ten. I'm just that's a guess. I'm gonna guess that Khalil Roundtree at the very least is not a top ten light heavyweight. Khalil Roundtree is thirteen. Yeah. Cass is fourteen. Where's Luke a right now? A is ten and All right, okay. is nine. So All right, they so just yeah. under the wire for the main yeah. event. Everyone else is essentially not ranked by your normal standards. Yeah. You so, know what? I'm going to say this just because we are going to depress ourselves with this episode and the fans are already depressed and they've stopped listening already. They're like, oh, my God, these negative goddamn assholes. They're at it again. We are going to have quite a lot of shockingly good cards over the next few months. Oh, yeah. 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 There's a lot of local events with crowds present where clearly the UFC and their matchmakers have had that in mind and booked fights that are. Even I want to see. So yeah. this looks like the last, honestly, of, of 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 like thoroughly depressing cards for a little while. I'm I'm happy to see that, with the exception of having to talk about Max Holloway fighting Chan Sung Jung. Sure. Oh, there's going to be depression, but that's MMA. Yeah. You know, like that's yeah. baked yeah. in. Like, yeah, people's lives are on the line, and it's not worth it, and it's awful. But in a way that uh, we, uh, you know, self-loathingly enjoy. Sure, sure. Okay. Me, me hating a card like this, that's not self-loathing, buddy. It's easy no. to project all this feeling I have inside right out at the matchmakers for this one. <laughs> this is yeah, not this me. Is, not on me. Also, one of one of those cards where, let's see, is there how many fights in here have both fighters coming off a win? Luke oh. is coming off a loss. Swanton is coming off a loss. Dowcast is coming off a loss. Uh, I guess... Pollyanna Viana and Yasmin Lucindo are both coming off wins. So is that? Mm-hmm. I think Nchukwi and Chukwi and Dobson are both loss. coming off losses. 
Yeah, and Dobson. Fremd and Pickett are both coming off losses. Bays is coming off a loss. McKinney and Breeden are coming off losses. Marshall is coming off a loss. <laughs> Parisian is coming off a loss. Uh, wow. Amarine is coming off a loss. Jose Johnson is making, or Jose Johnson is making his debut. So technically, both those guys are coming off a win. And Miller is coming off a loss. Wow. So, so truly a majority of the fighters on this card. Two fighters, two fights on this whole card have both fighters coming off a victory in their last fight. And one of those is a debutante. And one of those is a debutante. Wow. So it Woo. is. Yeah, it That's is the apex, baby. That's that apex flavor. It is a very rough. You can't you can't pretend that the UFC doesn't know exactly what they're doing and exactly how they're booking this. Oh yeah, yeah, it's not an accident. The the name Apex continues to just be the apex of irony. To be honest, yes. <laughs> it is like truly to name it. To, I already made that joke like four times, and I should. I, and I used a an even more annoying smart guy word. I called it. It should be called the Nadir. Yes. Yes. Right? Huh? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. That's a better reaction than it got the last time I said it. Yeah, it's true. I'm I'm feeling more pitiable today. (laughs) I got to watch these cards. Yeah. Come on. My life isn't that great. All right. Luke RDA, let's jump in and start with that. Yeah. And I will immediately say the reason that this is particularly depressing is the very troubling news that Vicente Luque suffered a brain hemorrhage as a result of his last fight with Jeff Neal. We don't know specifically that it came from the Jeff Neal, but yes. It One did. of the commissioners said that it did. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. He, it was not addressed in the hearing, Yeah, but at least in the MMA Junkie article I read, the write-up about this. Yeah, that's right. That's right. One of the Nevada State Athletic Commission members said afterward, off off the record or something. I don't know. It was clearly on the record that um, it was, it was, a, it was related to the loss. And I mean, that fight was a brutal fight for Lucas. Yeah, no kidding. It, it, I would have absolutely assumed that that is how and where he suffered. 100%. He, yeah. he got thrashed um, and horribly knocked out and knocked down like three times. Um, so, yeah. And essentially, like what I'm forced to assume is that uh, – They've done all the due diligence to appear to have ensured that this man is safe to fight. Yeah. And that very little actual care has been given to whether or not he's safe to fight. Because you know it's possible for a guy like Luke to shop around until he finds a doctor who will clear him. True. And uh, for all that the commission, uh, uh, again, like made the effort to do a special hearing instead of just throwing him onto the pile of uh of of fight approvals um they just they're just going to take whatever doctors he found word mm-hmm. for it you know like that's all they need is you need a doctor's note none of them there like it's you know the, the nevada commission is we we last week we had a towering example of corruption basically from the utah athletic commission uh in having like actually paid the ufc to come to their city Mm-hmm. And we know the Nevada Commission is corrupt and full of a bunch of bums who don't know what they're talking about. So, uh, yeah, it's very troubling, honestly. Like, I don't feel like this fight should be happening. I don't feel like Luque should be fighting at all anymore. And uh, as much as the UFC has no power to tell him he can't fight, 
like, frankly, I think that's one where you need to have somebody from the company, like sit down and talk to him. And I, I don't know. Brain yeah. Hemorrhage, it, it, last injury I want you to have and continue fighting. Yeah. It's Bad. definitely one of those situations where you really hope that everybody around him is being like, you know, this needs to be a con. You, you need to be thinking about this as a career ender. I'd rather have seen Dan Hardy get back to fighting after his heart condition was discovered, yeah. because at least that's a thing that he could be doing any athletic endeavor and die from. True. Anything stressful. This is literally head trauma. That's like yeah. the whole thing with MMA. Yeah. You shouldn't know. You shouldn't be fighting if you've had a brain hemorrhage, if you've had a bl blood pooling in your skull. Absolutely not. So it's very troubling. And unfortunately, we have to talk about it because um, that's our job. But, uh, yeah, I really hate it. I, I really yeah. hate it. And it, it just I really, really hope something doesn't go horribly wrong for Vicente Luque. And unfortunately, even if it doesn't, that means he's just going to continue fighting. And hopefully not until something does. Happen, yeah. Hopefully. You know, it truly no, is I... a shock. The UFC has not had any fighters die in their promotion yet. It really is. Yeah. I, I mean, I think one of the things that I have, it, it, it may be still to come as a, uh, striking volume continues to skyrocket as and yeah. be like a new pace setter. But I think one of the big things that's really saved the UFC from that and MMA from having more of that in general is that it's been fairly low output and the variety means that like there's usually ways to have a beating stop. Yeah. It's not like boxing where you can hold for, you know, three seconds to save yourself until the exactly. referee breaks you and then you're getting beaten again. Like you can actually take it out of the phase where you're getting damaged. Yeah. Also, MMA fighters get knocked out more than boxers. And frankly, that is better for your brain than the accumulation of damage when you just keep getting hit over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, so, at least uh, I believe that's the case. So, it, it, there there are reasons for it, but it, yeah, I don't think it's because <laughs> I don't think it necessarily makes MMA an inherently safer sport. And like I say, I, I could easily see that changing in the future as we get more people trying to copy Max Holloway. Yeah, and Luke is an obvious um, study and the kind of fighter you would expect to to suffer those consequences because he is a like a an action striker. And he yeah. has been in a ton of brutal wars yep. uh, throughout his career. That's why we Very love watching him. The prototype of the the idea that MMA fighters get can get really pretty good at offense without getting very good at defense. Yeah, hundred percent. And and um, yeah, so I mean, we'll get into the fight because this this sort of dovetails yeah. into it. I mean, uh, I, I think what we have seen from Luke is that he has looked notably slower. Yes, He's and losing a step. Yeah, he's he 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 is. I think exited his prime. Are the is what I get from his recent performances. Um, he has he has always been a pretty foot slow fighter, to be honest. Uh, fairly hand slow as well. I mean, he's never been a fast fighter. Yeah, he has been tough and accurate and a good tight puncher. Yep. Um, and the, the and reason the good style of the pressure counter puncher, yeah, being somebody who can create a lot of mistakes out of their opponent. If you're walking them down and you're ready to hundred percent 
to throw every time they set their feet and try to stop you from walking them down. Yeah, he really learned to to kind of keep a stranglehold on the initiative in a fight. Yeah, and uh, and use that to 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 draw mistakes out of his opponents. He was very good at punishing them. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the reason he looks slower is that he he appears to have lost some of that ability. Yeah. Partly, I think it's age. Partly, and this doesn't, unfortunately, doesn't help for this matchup. Partly, I think it was uh, that his last two opponents really, um, really enjoyed a lot of success being southpaws against him. Mm-hmm. I think this is another thing we have. Luca has actually fought a lot of southpaws, but most of, if not all of his losses are to southpaws. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Leon Edwards in there. There's Jeff Neal, who is perhaps the most Southpaw fighter of all time. Cause I not still not sure if he has two hands. Yeah. Um, no, the, the other one is just a holographic projection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just to avoid being made fun of. Yeah. Um, Bilal Muhammad was heavily focused on going Southpaw in their fight. He landed the left body kick a ton, uh, against Luke. Um, and then, yeah, like there's other guys that are stance switchers. There's no other real like super dedicated southpaws among the guys Luke has beaten. And most of them are not guys you would expect to beat Luke anyway. Mm-hmm. It is notable to me that southpaws and Stephen Thompson, of course, was super reliant on is, is very good as a southpaw and beat Luke's ass from that stance a lot. Yeah. Um, and what really stood out in the Jeff Neal fight, uh, this is sort of like a tragic, this is like a Greek tragedy co- happening, that he went out there and had, you know, my favorite uh, understanding of how to fight a southpaw, which is to eschew your entire style and try to do something different. Always a great idea when you're game planning for an opponent. Just don't do the things you normally do. No, this guy's different from the other guys, so do you do something you're not used to. Yeah. So he goes out there and he's like, I'm going to get my lead foot on the outside. I'm going to throw right hands and right kicks. Go figure. um, Because getting your foot on the outside of your opponent, in other words, squaring up, that's what that's called when you do that. If you do that with no setup, if you do it super consistently uh, and your opponent is fast and has a good straight rear hand of their own, they're going to get a chance to hit you while you're stepping outside. Mm-hmm. And that is what Jeff Neal did. He didn't have to have his foot outside. He just let Luke square up looking for the right hand and blasted him down the middle with his own his own backhand. And the irony, the tragic irony is that this went horribly for Luke in the first round. I've never seen him hurt that badly or that often in the first yeah. round of a fight. And um and then he was so messed up, basically, that in the second round, I think he just defaulted to his normal style. He, like, stopped thinking about how to fight South Poluque and massively shifted the momentum of the fight. Mm-hmm. Partly it was because Neil was tired from trying to finish him a bunch of times. But partly it was that suddenly Luque rem- just had a jab. I was going to say mm-hmm. he remembered he had a jab. I don't think he was remembering shit in those moments because yeah. he was messed up. But he he just that's his muscle memory when he's not trying to change his style. And the jab was super effective. He kept catching Jeff Neal squaring up. He kept interrupting as, as he was trying to reset. Suddenly, it was a Luke pressure round. Mm-hmm. Um, and that jab is a really important part of his pressure game. 
and also the left hook, which he also was hardly throwing earlier. And that plays off the jab really well, stops people from skirting around him and taking advantage of his uh, general foot slowness. Um, and, you know, he couldn't hold on to it. Luke got a second win. Or Neil got a second wind and thrashed him in round three. But um, what I saw in that fight is that Luke convinced himself to fight badly because he was fighting a southpaw. And that uh, sort of, in my mind, overwrites um, what would otherwise be a, you know, a decent chance that he could exploit some of RDA's worst tendencies against pressure fighters. Mm hmm. Uh, because he's not going to be bringing his full game. I mean, if he doesn't, then RDA is just going to... RDA's got good straight punches. RDA has a good southpaw jab. Like, RDA has a great kicks. He can land that left body kick all day, like Bilal Muhammad did. Um, I just... Uh, I think unless he's bringing his full complement of skills, I don't see Luke being able to control RDA, even if this is one of those fights where RDA just sort of allows the opponent to chase him around. And the other thing that has really stood out in Luke's recent fights, sort of like Steven Thompson, in fact, is that the thing he used to struggle with most has kind of reared its head once more, which is the takedown defense. Mm -hmm. It's been worse. You know, it wasn't yeah. a strength. It was not a strength of Luke's when he first got to the UFC. It really was responsible for his like almost 50 50 record pre UFC. Yeah. And he got way better at stuffing takedowns. And um, now in his last few fights, including the Michael Chiesa one, which he he found a great opportunistic win, but was not really winning before that. Everyone's just been taking him down in the way that they've been taking Wonder Boy down. Like yeah. where he doesn't even see the shot coming and just goes down clean the way that uh, Sandhagen kept taking font down, not yeah. fighting through a sprawl, not having to layer a bunch of attacks, just like, oops, I've connected with your hips and you're off your feet. Yeah. And that is also, I think, a bad sign against RDA, who will absolutely look to wrestle him. It is. It, the, not, nothing you have said is untrue. My big hesitation is just how bad RDA can look yep. on the back foot. Yep. And the fact that RDA, I don't think RDA will like finish Luke if he takes him down. Luke is a very good defensive grappler. Sure. So I kind of feel like Luke will get a lot of chances to reset throughout the fight and put RDA on the back foot again. But and he's also like a decade younger, which is, of course, like. Yeah, but he still looks fine. I mean, that's the thing with yeah, RDA. RDA. Yeah, he really. Even in his welterweight run, uh, which this is back at welterweight, that, that has yeah. to be uh, emphasized. Even then, like getting a bunch of losses, the, like these were very, very few of them were blowouts. True. Except for um, Usman, you know, like. Yeah. Go figure, like losing badly to Usman. That's not a huge black mark. Otherwise, uh, RDA was super competitive at welterweight. It just didn't, he wasn't able to be dominant with the ease that he has always yeah. had at lightweight. It's not like Luke is a big welterweight. Not necessarily. He's, he's really not. And it's been a, a lot of the size factor has been the wrestling of people, too, at welterweight. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I totally like if, if this were several years ago. Yeah, I would have looked at this matchup and been like, ooh, exactly. Luke is going to 
he's going to make RDA look like Edson Barboza on the back foot. He's going to mm-hmm. be dancing around and running into the cage and just not planting his feet and firing enough offense up. And we are definitely still going to get shades of that. Mm-hmm. But over five rounds with RDA's basically still bulletproof cardio. Um, yeah. With the fact that he is, he's not really bad off the back foot. It just, he, he can't control rounds the way he can in the yeah. front foot, but he still has effective tools. He still has the jab. He can still cook uh, kick when he's being pushed around. He'll find moments and with the wrestling and just, I mean, uh, I just can't overlook my concerns for Luke. I don't think he's been looking good. I don't think he's all right. I just no. really struggle to pick him and I wish I didn't have to pick anyone over him basically. Yeah. It's a very convincing argument. Luke is bad against Southpaws. And RDA is that. And yeah, we're just not. You know, the other thing, too, to note with RDA is. Uh, yeah. He can get finished, but it's hard. It's not, yeah. I mean, he's been knocked out, what, three times? What? One, one of which was an injury. Three, yeah. Also, all times, at, Phil pointed this out, all at lightweight, too. Yeah. I think it's times, the, the weight cut of the speed. Yeah. Uh, when people crack him down there. Uh, people, the big guys you would expect to be hurting him, including Usman, who hit him a bunch. Now, he weathers yeah. those storms quite well. That's true. All right. I'll pick RDA with you. I came into this expecting to feel like I'd pick Luke K. Even with my huge concerns over yeah. his injury. I mean, I can't lie. That is a big part of my feeling here. And I hope it's not an issue, but I just can't look at this fight and not have that at the forefront of my thoughts. Yeah, I get, I have the the feeling, the unfortunate feeling, honestly. I mean, I guess I, I should say I have the fortunate feeling that he's just going to, like, I don't think that that injury is going to be a, a big issue as I don't know as, as like, very, until it kills him. You mean that? Like, I see what you mean that it's not going to prevent him from fighting like Luke. Eh? Yeah. And that it, it is the kind of thing too, that like, I think I would say, I would assume has on, honestly been a lot more prevalent across sports than people realize. Oh, certainly over the years, because it's only lately that we've really got like that is technology true. that can, detect it well you know sure a bad brain bleed is the thing that kills boxers we know that it's it is awful it has the potential to be awful but i don't necessarily know that we know that it can't be something where it happens at a small scale and then heals up and people are fine and has been happening i'm sure that happens yeah it's not entirely the reason. It, it, I can't deny that it's it is part of my feeling here it, and why I'm feeling is, very negative about Luke's chances. Um, but it, yeah. the the fact that he has been looking diminished. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it is. You know we've rung this bell plenty, but it is really worth just to me always sounding a cautionary tale about fighters who turn pro in their teens. Because mm. Luke is only 31. Yeah. Like, he is, in, in in an athletic career, he should be square in his prime. Sure. 
but he started fighting 14 years ago. And there's a there's a lot of wear on the tread because, as I said yeah. at the top, his, his fights have been frequently even the even the quick wins like that fight with Jalen Turner was like three minutes of war. Yeah, I can't imagine what his training sessions are like, but I imagine they're extremely violent as well. Yeah, and for a lot of fighters who start as young as he did, the wheels start falling off in their early thirties. You know, like they, you might get the long, you might get technically a longer career because you're, you know, whole twenties are like now you're a decade into fighting already Yeah, in your twenties. And so, yeah, you get the 15, 16 year career where somebody who starts in their late twenties might get nine or 10, but they might be fighting like, you know, they might be Stephen Thompson fighting functionally until they're 40. Yeah where you're 31 and we're starting to say, Oh my God, can this person still do this? Yeah. So I, yeah. RDA at 38. There has, there's really been, we've seen RDA him in bad is, style matchups. We've seen him against bigger men, but <clears throat> there has really been no indication of any kind of precipitous decline. RDA though is we got to note. He is an exception to every rule oh. of MMA. He's yeah. He's an all-time great fighter. He's, no question. He's he's been, he's, fighting, a, he's been fighting for 19 years at 38. He is a teen fighter. Yeah. No. He like, is a he is a special fighter who does things that most athletes simply cannot. Yeah. The fact that RDA won his lightweight t- championship in 2015, 11 years into his career, yeah, was like already special. You know, RDA is he's he's like Robbie Lawler in that way where, you know, we're like, oh, man, Robbie Lawler's really lost a step. And it's like, yeah, at 40, mm-hmm. this is a kid who was in the UFC when he was like 18, mm-hmm. you know, RDA and Lawler are really weird cases. Yeah, no doubt he's getting older. He's losing steps, but you would not. Uh, if you took the like welterweight losses as a sign of decline, you would, as we did not, you would never anticipate yeah. a performance as great as that one against Paul Felder. Yeah. Or and the fight with Hinato Moicano, or even the fight with Fizzy, if he looked fine, you know? Yeah. You, you, the, the world between, there, there's a world of difference between RDA and Tony Ferguson right now. Oh, yeah. And Tony Ferguson absolutely thrashed RDA. Right. You know? But here we are, like five yeah. years on from that. I think the physical aspects of RDA's style, the most the most physical dependent aspects of his style, weather time better because mostly it's his strength. Yeah. Which, like, you don't really lose that as you get older. Quite the opposite. In part, I think it's because you're, it takes a lot longer to develop the strength of your non-muscle tissue, like your tendons. Yeah. And so old men's tendons just get stronger. You get slower, but you continue to get stronger as you age. And um, and then otherwise, RDA style is built on much more solid fundamentals than a guy like Tony Ferguson. So yeah, technical aspects of his style are holding up while the physical aspects he need are absolutely still there. I, I get it. You know, if Luke is going to get chances to pressure, I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's not the matchup you would normally expect to be super favoring RDA in. Yeah. I'll take RDA as well. Uh, go vote for the old man. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, it's just one of those things where, you know, I feel for Luke because he's got yeah. the classic career, the classic style, and now the classic injuries that all point towards an unfortunate early burnout Yeah, at a time when he's probably been thinking for his whole life, I will be in my prime right now. I am yeah. in my prime right now. This is me at my peak. I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm going to win a title in three years. Is, you know, in the next three years is probably where RDA's head is at. He's like me for real. <laughs> you know, depressed at 25. Like, man, I can't wait to be 32. Now look at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if only you'd known how good you had it. Okay. RDA opened at uh, minus 141. He's currently at minus 115. Luke opened at plus 127. He's currently at plus 104. Even even feels very right here, honestly. Sure. Uh, yeah. RDA being a, a favorite is, is fine, too. It, it, I'm not surprised he opened that way, but he's also 38. And he's not in one of the old man divisions. Sure. You know? It's not a division where he's looked at his best anyway, you know? Like yeah. 100%. And he is still giving up with, three inches of height and five inches of reach here. Yeah, so. yeah. It's more the concerns with Luke. I think that may even yeah. sound fine. Featherweight fight, Cub Swanson, Hakeem Dawadu. And there's no way I'm picking Cub Swanson here. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, he's another fighter. Like, it is actually kind of a miracle, to be honest, mm-hmm. that Swanson has had those performances like he had against Cron Gracie and Daniel Pineda in 2019 and 2020. Hey, you know what? Shit on this card all you like, but we do genuinely have two all-time great fighters on here. Yeah. Cub Swanson is the other one. And, you know, that fight against Darren Elkins in 2021 even, too, where he just looked absolutely on point sure and that is remarkable because cub swanson has always been a fighter who 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 depends on his speed and his flash yeah and anytime lately that he's gotten a that he's lost had a fight that he lost other than like that great performance against shane burgos too in 2019 that was a great showing but anytime otherwise that he's had a fight where he's lost lately you really see like Mm-hmm. The the gaps in Swanson's game, which is why I say it really, it's a testament to his great performances are still like, oh man, yep. Cup still has it, and his losing performances, you're like, oh man, <laughs> stop, yeah, like this can't happen. Like that fight he had against Jonathan Martinez, he stepped out there, and you're like, okay, no, this is, yeah, this was a terrible mistake. Mm-hmm. Cub Swanson is not ready to fight Jonathan Martinez. I mean, you even felt that way for most of the win over Daniel Pineda. Yeah. This is going terribly. Uh, yeah. The thing that makes this interesting is that I think Hakeem Dawadu is getting to a point where he doesn't know what to do. Yeah, I, I get that sense as well. Because he was always a technical fighter, and but early on when he was fighting bad competition, or even guys who ended up being good competition, like beating Mike Malott 
in 2014. Mm-hmm. Not a name on anybody's radar. But early on in his career, he had power because striking technique on the regionals of MMA is not very good. And he's fast. Fast. And so just being a really good, consistent technical striker, it gave him enough of an edge to finish people. Mm -hmm. Over time, though, in the UFC, it has really turned out that Hakeem Dewadu does not have power at all. I'm sure he still has more than enough power to finish people. What Dewadu does not have is the instinct to build on a single moment of success. Yeah. Dewadu is this weird case where if you look at his stats pages, you're like, oh, he's we've talked about this before. Yeah. He's actually like a reasonable output. He's not oh, a he's volume a high output, decently high output fighter. Yeah. But just, you don't see it in the cage. It doesn't feel that way. It's yeah. it's very one and done, needs a moment to pause and reset. With Dewadu's speed, with his punching form, he would absolutely still be capable of knocking out all the guys he's been fighting. Um, if he could like put things together on them, if he could hit them with that first clean shot and then have the confidence and be relaxed enough to then step in. That's the thing with... I, I've been thinking about that lately with a lot of fighters, and Dewadu seems like a great example of a fighter who doesn't feel super comfortable making... An empty move, yeah. In range, um, like that's the heart and soul of winning a fight with initiative, right? Like you, you have to you 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 grab the initiative. You do so. You faint. You jab something. It gets a momentary reaction out of your opponent, and then frequently to follow up effectively, you have to then make a move that isn't punching them in the face. Yeah, you have to step off to the side. You have to close the distance. You have to get yourself in position to then follow up. And that is, it is tough to do. It's a very stressful thing. It takes uh, a certain mindset, a lot of confidence, and you have to be super relaxed in that range. And you have to be able to feel that you have the chance to do that because you have made your opponent react. That was a huge problem against like Julian Arosa. We completely did not see that, that result coming. Uh Uh-uh. But Arosa was able to counter. He was able to stick to Wadi with his jab. And he was far and away the more effective combination puncher. Yeah. And that made all the difference. Because even when Dewadu was like, I have to get aggressive. He he went for it. You know, respect. Yeah. He, he realized he was down. He realized he had to take chances. But they were still momentary chances. Yeah. He couldn't stack offense up I get, at any really- point. Is wild. You look at his his like UFC stats page for Dewadu. Other than Mozar Ivlov and Julian Arosa, the two fights he's lost yeah. in that instant knockdown chokeout fight, to Danny yeah. Henry that ended up being you know kind of a non-result in in, in the long run of things. Um, Dewadu has outstruck his opponents basically two to one mm-hmm. in every single fight. And some of those fights have still been incredibly close yes. decisions. In fact, three of those wins have splits. been split decisions where he outstruck his opponent two to one. Yeah, I think that that thing I described is why he has this pervasive tendency to 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 apparently fight down yeah. to whatever level his opponent is at because he always gives them chances. He can't. It's he can't get an advantage. It's. Like, you watch, like, Terrence Crawford fight, 
Yeah. And that dude will burn a bunch of time early in a lot of fights and kind of seem aimless. But once he finds that little chink in the armor, once he gets that first little wedge through the gap, you're not coming back. Yeah. That's the thing that Dewadu does not have. He lets people back into every fight. And that actually does make for a really interesting fight with Cub Swanson. Yes, I agree. Because Cub is, he is a dude that if you give him time, if you let him sit down and, uh, you know, figure out what he needs to do. Yeah. He will, he will stay on you. He will stay aggressive. Like there's nothing that Julian Arosa did to Hakeem Dewadu that Cub Swanson hasn't been capable of doing at yeah. some point in his career. Other than being huge. I mean, I think that was yeah. a factor too, but, but, but yeah, the Pineda fight, Pineda put it on him horribly early and Cub was like, all right, time to throw down, trying to count yeah. you super hard and, and create chances for myself. Um, even in the Martinez fight. Yeah. As you said, not a good performance from Cub, a terrible look early, but he was trying to do to what yeah. he, to Martinez what he did to Pineda. He was like, okay, I can't be on the back foot. I have to press forward. I Cub is not going to lose the way Rob Font lost last weekend. No. He doesn't go down quietly. If it needs a, a huge risk to either lose badly or win, he's not going to lose quietly if he can help it. And Hakeem Dewadu not being a finisher. Yes. Like Cub Swanson, you know, his worst fights are the ones where somebody can just take the initiative when he when he starts trying to force things. Yeah. And just absolutely blast him for it. Yeah. Dewadu can hit him for it. But like even, you know, you go back to that classic Duho Choi fight for Cub Swanson. And like if you don't finish Cub Swanson in those moments, he will make the fight hell hell on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so oh, however, I Phil depressed me with this uh when I spoke to him yesterday, so now I will depress you in turn. Without looking, how long ago do you think that fight with Duha Choi was? Oh, I, I I just looked. It's right in front of me. Okay. But um it's seven years ago. Yeah, it is a long time ago. That's a, like almost a full career for a normal fighter. It is. I mean, like I said, <laughs> I'm not, I, I can't pick Cub Swanson here. Yeah, yeah. Like, Hakeem Dewadu, he has the output. He has the consistency. He has the chin. I mean, Julian Arosa hurt him five times over. Sure, yeah. And did not finish him. You know? And Arosa is a good finisher. He, he's not always a great fighter, but he is a very good finisher. Yeah. And so the durability and the volume are there for Dewadu. The, the selection, I mean, there's nothing to say that Dewadu can't kick Cub, Cub's legs like Martinez did. He works every target, 100%. He works every target. He works at them all consistently. I have to pick Hakeem Dewadu. Yeah. But... That, you know, there is pause here because Dewadu does not, he does not create dominant performances. And Cub Swanson is still a dude that he doesn't just go away. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't do to Cub Swanson what Hakeem Dewadu did to like Michael Trezano or, you know, where, yep. you, or Austin Arnett, where they're just like, oh man, this is frustrating. I don't do. Especially I'm in the striking. Just, He's not just going to let you cook. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's going to test you however yeah. he can. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. And I, I, it is particularly the kicks that have me favoring Dewadu. Yeah. Um, because that has been a really notable trend in all of these tough fights Cub Swanson has been put in lately. Yeah. Martinez finished him with low kicks. Um, Darren Elkins didn't do shit, of course. But uh, Giga Chikadze finished him with a body kick very quickly, and Daniel Pineda was also crushing him with low kicks, and he managed to turn it around. Um, people have just been thrashing Cub Swanson with kicks, and he can't deal with them. Yeah. Those, that, I, well, we'll get to the odds here in a sec, but that was an interesting little article I saw the other day in a little interview with uh, Amanda Nunes mm-hmm. talking about why she won't ever come back, basically, or why she had to retire. Good for her. Glad to hear that. What What was the reason? And the thing that I never really thought of, she said, like, I have I have nerve damage in my legs. Like kicking people super hard all the time and, and getting kicked and all that. Just like, yeah. yeah, like I can't move the way I want anymore. Yeah. And it's one of those things like you can't see it as a fan. Like sure, I her last performance, she looked her best ever. Yeah, she was so I, locked I, in that fight. And I, you wouldn't know it. Like you, you, it's not the kind of injury that you're going to see or think about. But I bet that that happens to a lot more fighters than probably, yeah, than we ever hear talk about. Where yeah. like they get to a point where their their mobility starts to go in ways where it's not just like, oh, my knees are bad now or my hip is bad now. But it's like, no, I've got it. Yeah, my my legs just don't respond very well anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, just like repetitive repetitive strain kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. So yeah, it's it's the fact that Dewadu, who who is a good fast kicker, and as you said, he attacks every every level, every target with his legs, with his with his hands too. I mean, he's yeah. not punching he's not punching thighs, but <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Um, he is going to have a lot of opportunities to just r- rack up attritional damage on Cub. Yeah, if he if he doesn't cut <laughs> Cub's legs out from under him, I would not be at all surprised. However. No. This is a fight that he starts really, Dewadu starts really hot. Yeah. And then it becomes just a really difficult fight over the yes. back half. And I think it has every chance of becoming quite difficult for him, even if he does chop Cub's legs early, if, because he has this chronic tendency to let his opponents back into the fight. He, he even when he's winning, he needs the rest and the, the little mental respite as much as they do. Yeah. And that's just something you can't afford to give your opponents if you want to like dominate a fight. He never yeah. dominates a fight. Yeah. So yeah, Swanson, I'm with you, but I'm picking Dewadu. I have to. You have to. Swanson opened at plus two twenty. He's currently down at plus one ninety two. Uh Dewadu opened at minus two fifty four, is currently at minus two eighteen. Also, Cub Swanson, our latest entry in the long, long, long list of Fighters who thought a weight cut would change everything and found yeah, out. Yeah. Like, I actually forgot about that. Yeah. It's just like, what, what, what were you really thinking going down to Phantom Weight Cub? Who knows? At 38. You I know? think it's just, you know, fighters just. Yeah. They just, they don't, they, they can't just settle on the obvious and what's going wrong. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm. Well, uh, 39 years old. <laughs> Jen Pulver I'm, talked about this recently too on his uh-huh. his webcast, where or on a fight like a uh, live UFC watch party talking about Tony Ferguson. He was like, nobody could have told me to retire when I was 
losing sure. all the time because I was just sitting there being like, oh, I need to, I need to fix my camp. I need to fix my training. I need to fix this. Oh, I made this technical error. I need to do this thing. And it was just go, had to go through all of those options sure. before I could face myself and say, no, it's just me. Yeah, I just don't have it anymore. Yeah. I mean, how is it not going to be a super hard thing for a fighter to accept? Yep. But uh, yeah, it is one of the most common uh, indications of a fighter entering uh, Eugene Robinson's lands of mist. Yeah. When they hit like 36 years old and they're like, I should drop down so that I'm bigger. Maybe yeah. I'll start winning again. That's like the last, the last refuge of the, yeah. uh, of the misty eyed fighter. All right. Light heavyweight bout. Khalil Roundtree, Chris Dacus, and um, yeah, Dacus very much. I um, you know, he, he's hey, he's, you know what? Maybe this is like a Tobias and Arrested Development talking about open relationships. These people somehow delude themselves into thinking it'll save their relationship. Well, you th- did it ever work for them? No. But it, but it might work, work for us. For us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe changing weight classes will solve Chris Dawkins' issues. Right. Yeah. No, it won't. It won't. It uh, won't. I'm picking Khalil Roundtree here. Yeah. Um, you have to. Yeah, Chris Dawkins is not a very technical fighter. He was pretty uh, fast for a heavyweight. And he obviously hits very hard. And he has a super, super, super limited game. Like Khalil Roundtree has a limited game. Yeah. Chris Dawkins is, is significantly more limited. Roundtree has put in a ton of hard work, not only to shore up his, like his wrestling problems, but also to really round out and build depth into his striking. Yeah. And I'm super impressed with the fighter Khalil Roundtree has become. Yeah. He's really good. And uh, I would not have guessed that he would be capable of doing that when I saw his first few UFC fights. And I was like, oh, this dude is a classic, like, uh, he's not fragile, but he's like a mental glass cannon. Yeah, no kidding. And um, he, yeah, he's been in tough fights. We talked, we gave Dustin Jacoby all the praise in the world for toughing it out and making things difficult for Roundtree down the stretch. But just Mm -hmm. as much credit goes to Roundtree for that fight. Yeah. Because he also had to weather a late storm after getting tired, and he was still fighting well. Um, he's become a really comprehensive MMA striker, and he is also an insanely good athlete. He hits really hard. He's probably going to paste Chris Dawkins. Probably. To be Which honest, Dawkins yeah. probably always should have been a light heavyweight. Just he was a because... very pudgy heavyweight, but... He was a pudgy heavyweight. He he did he never you know it is it, pretty clear he didn't have a heavyweight chin at all. Sure. And he has a bunch of speed. So there hey, is, he you got know, it from uh, confiscating it from a. Uh, that's right. Yeah, he from, he got it from <laughs> from busting teens. But uh, how's he gonna how's he gonna plant it on somebody if he doesn't have it? Of course he's got right. speed, Zane. Um. So maybe light heavyweight always should have been where he should be and it'll show up for him, but it really does feel like the big advantage he had on all of his opponents before was just being fast. Yeah. And that now he's not going to have that. Yeah. And uh, for a former police officer and Chris Dawkins to, uh, 
potentially suffer uh, four crushing defeats exclusively to big black dudes. <laughs> okay, no, let's, let's <laughs> right, right there on that train of thought. Come on, buddy, that's just... karma. That's karma. <laughs> you know he hates it. Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> I just wish some pasty white dude could knock me out for once. Oh, yeah. No, I don't care what you say. I'm enjoying it. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I we've talked. Uh, you know, Tanner Bozer, he showed up last fight, still had to go to absolute war with, like, the worst light heavyweight in the UFC. Yep. But. Uh, that ain't Khalil Roundtree. Yeah. And He's a pretty good light heavyweight. Khalil Roundtree is much more on the Iwan Kudalaba train, and I feel like that is something that Dow House is going to run headlong into. He's just. He's not even Kudalaba. He is, and he's he, guys like Dowkaus, like Bozer wasn't in his light heavyweight debut. They're just not used to the idea of like, oh, I'm not the fast one anymore. Yeah. So I no. think it's going to be a, a, a rough awakening. Yep. All right. Odds here. Roundtree opened at minus two ten. Currently minus one seventy one. Dowkaus. Dacus opened at plus 185, currently down to plus 152. Yeah, that's, that's yep. fine. Yep. All right. May, uh, straw, straw weight bout now, Pollyanna, Viana, Yasmin, Lucindo. And um, a harder fight to call than it should be, hmm. frankly. Because... Yasmin Lucindo has some really good, solid, basic technique. And Pollyanna Viana does not. At all. But Pollyanna Viana is aggressive and willing to fight with aggression. And I have to kind of question if Lucindo is able or willing to do that. Like, that fight with Brogan Walker that she had? Yeah. That sucked. And, like, you've got an opponent who just can't compete with you in front of you. And you're just kind of having the most lackadaisical work work woman-like performance. It, it just doesn't... Um, you know, it doesn't suggest a fighter who is necessarily going to create the offense they need to win fights that they should win all the time. And Pollyanna Viana is much more of a fighter who can throw out a performance to win fights that she shouldn't win. Absolutely. Sometimes, you know? I would say many of the fights she's won are ones that we didn't expect her to win. Yeah. She is will... full of holes. Yeah. But she will go out there. She will if she finds something. If she thinks she can throw an arm bar at you, she will. If she thinks she can charge at you with a blitz, she will. I'm gonna pick Yasmin Lucindo because, yeah, you know, Viana will throw the worst parts of her game at you along with the best. You know, she her whole game is built on I charge at you. You either get oh you get overwhelmed. Yeah, you. 
you grab me and I fall over. That is Pollyanna Viana's whole game. It's just, I create the chaos that I can use to then create an arm bar off my back. And it's a terrible game for high-level MMA. It is just awful in terms of its functionality at the Elite. But, you know, every fight she wins is a fight she's finished in round one. Literally. That is the only way she's ever won fights. So she will have a she will probably have a stellar opportunity to finish Yasmin Lucindo in the first round and might do it, but I wouldn't bank on it. Sure. Um yeah, no, I I, I don't really have a lot to add to that. It's Viana is aggressive and willing to put herself in absolutely any position as long as it f- feeds into her aggression. Yep. And otherwise her technical game is like it is it is more whole than substance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh you know, she's got like a powerful kick. And uh how does she set this kick up? Uh question mark question mark. You know, she she doesn't have footwork, she doesn't she had god knows she doesn't have defense. Um and she doesn't have takedown defense either cuz she's way too happy to play guard. Yep. Um it is the plain bagel of MMA games. Yeah, really. Yeah, bagel is a little too thick, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a plain. I don't know. It's like when you take it's one of those like crispy the Italian. Hoop. It's the hula hoop. Yeah. Of MMA games. What are those? Uh, what are those crunchy Italian breadsticks that everybody loves? You know, do they have biscotti. circle ones of those? Uh, no, I don't. Oh, know. Not biscotti. Biscotti are delicious, but you know, you yeah. go to like an Italian restaurant, you get the really skinny long breadsticks. Oh yeah. This guy hasn't been to an Italian restaurant. Exposed. I've, I haven't been to an Olive Garden, which is what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I'm not. There's a very nice Italian restaurant here in town called Nicola's. Delicious. And they have those crispy breadsticks. Okay. They also have these little focaccias with tomatoes and red onion oh, slices that, on top. That, that, that's good. Those are delicious. Yeah, um, yeah no. Uh, Lucindo is just... I don't see her getting wiped out quickly. And no. So while her tendency to maybe just sort of let Fiona boss her around for a bit will absolutely make it closer than it should be, she also like has some depth to her game. Yeah, and she at least is capable of being a good reactive fighter. Or a yeah, she'll find fighter. something. Yeah, uh, Viana never finds anything. It either drops into her lap or it doesn't. Yeah. So I'll take Lucindo. We'll both take Lucindo, but it, you know. I, it's not as cut and dried as it should be just because Lu- Lucindo does not she does not impose enough of her game on her opponent at all. Yeah, that is a problem. It's uh, almost like the fight with Howard Howard made her look especially impressive because she just had someone who kept yeah, she had coming so into her range. That you're like, yeah. oh, okay, she can make some good reactive moves. And then you see a fight where she doesn't have anything to react to. And it's like, what are you, right. you doing? But she's going to get stuff to react to here, and it's going to be messy, messy stuff, not like Howardiggy. So, yeah. She might uh, also just knock Viana out in the first round. I mean, that could happen. I seem to open at minus 184. It's currently minus 193. Viana opened at plus 163, currently plus 172. So, little movement up and down on those, those odds. 
getting a little longer in Lucinda's favor, though, which makes sense. Right, that brings us to a middleweight bout, Tefan Nchukwi against AJ Dobson. And um, two fighters who have been rushed to the U.S. Yes, yeah. And desperately, desperately could have used having the first five years of their career yeah. just be regional fights. Yeah, because these are two guys who, st- who still look like they have potential. Mm-hmm. Um, Both very strong. In in Dobson's case, really fast. And in Chukwi's case, really seems like a very thoughtful fighter. Yeah. Often. Powerful and, and pretty technical. Like, yeah, yeah he, he really had like a, the makings of like a superior Polo Costa kind of striking game when he first showed up. You see him stepping in and throwing to the body, double left hook coming upstairs afterward. I will say uh, Dobson has actually just made me look kind of stupid. What's that? Because he did spend the first six years of his MMA mm-hmm. career on the regionals. Yeah. It's just, it really appears, he didn't fight a lot. And it appears to have, he doesn't look like somebody who's fought a lot, you know? He really doesn't. Yeah, that is actually a concerning revelation. Because um, Dobson absolutely looks to me like he, he has a lot of the problems I associate with inexperience. Yeah, he he, like, he he looks like a young prospect who has a lot of growing to do, but he's a 31-year-old who has been in the game for eight years now. Yeah. is now. Because like a, a problem for Dobson is he also, like Hakeem Daudu, a much less developed version, he has a real problem putting things together in range. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he can be interrupted. You don't have to be a big puncher, you know, like... Um, yeah. What was that last fight? I don't know. I'm just blanking on the name. Uh, the Petrosian. Armin Petrosian. Oh, Petrosian. Yes. Um, Petrosian, you know, a solid fighter. I mean, we agree. Petrosian yeah. has been another guy who you we would argue has been rushed and has been super consistent and impressive even in his, in his losses. Yeah, he's, he's really putting it together as he goes. He, he's just a solid workman-like striker. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but he's not a big puncher. No. Um. You know, he's fast. He'll shock you. But there came a point in that fight, certainly after the first round, where it was like, okay, Dobson goes back to his corner. They, you need to, like, accept that you're going to have some exchanges here mm-hmm. with Petrosian He's because he's throwing three punches at you every time you're in range and firing back every time. And you got to try to press through and put shots on him and uh, interrupt him. And instead, it was this sort of a one-sided version of the same exchange over and over kind of fight. Dobson just couldn't figure out how to break through the barrier, this sort of like zone, the circle of uh, Petrosian's, you know, flailing but consistent counters. Yeah. And just kept having to take steps back and kept having to, you know, and it's not like he was getting beaten up either. He just could not get rolling. Yeah. A lot of fainting, a lot of the right ideas. When you see him on orchestrate punch, it's great. But you yeah. can see there's tension when the possible, the prospect of an exchange is on the table. Like, for example, he's like three times slower when he's countering mm-hmm. than when he's leading. Yeah. When he leads, he doesn't put a bunch of weight on his shots. He just flicks them out there, and it looks really good. Yeah. And then when he's countering, because he's tense, he is like overloading everything, and it comes on this super predictable rhythm, um, and it's just slow because he he doesn't like 
the 50-50 element of fighting. Yep. And, um, you know, he's going to get to land a lot of clean leads on Nchukwe, but I don't think Nchukwe minds that aspect of fighting so much. Uh, really, his problems, I think, have been that he has been in there against faster guys, and his his game, when he gets a bunch of momentum, can can be really well considered. Mm-hmm. But when he hasn't quite gotten the opponent to respect him yet, when he doesn't already have a handle on the initiative, he can make some sort of ponderous decisions, initiating yeah. exchanges. You know, like how many times did Mirzakhanov catch the naked right kick that Unchukwi threw at him? Mm-hmm. A bunch. And yeah. He just, you know, he didn't have Mirzakhanov cornering himself or allowing himself to get cornered, rather. He didn't get the responses he wanted out of his feints. And so he just kept, like, truly, he just kept getting taken down off of kicks and countered off yeah. of kicks because he's like, I don't know how to get in. I guess I'll throw this, my biggest, slowest weapon as a big slow. Yeah. And just couldn't figure that out. So I don't know. This is an interesting fight. I I, I don't have a super clear read. I kind of feel like I I I, I kind of have a hard time picturing Dobson shutting a guy like Kunchukwi out of the fight. Yeah, I don't think Dobson can shut anybody out of the fight because the other right. thing too that he leans on is his wrestling game. Yes, and he doesn't have. He has some sharp strikes when he takes people down. Some some sharp ground and pound. But he he has an either or wrestling game, yeah. Which is once again why he continues to feel like a fighter who has not been fighting for very long. Is where it's like he can either take you down and control you and not do anything, or he can take you down and try to start striking and let you up immediately. Yeah, there's no pl- there's no place where Dobson is capable of controlling a fight. Yeah, he has to be inviting. As you say, like he's not comfortable in 50-50 exchanges, but he has to invite them constantly because yeah. he doesn't have the technical depth to control to keep a fight any one place where he can have success. Right. Like if Dobson had the ability to kind of outbox somebody with his jab even, you know, just yeah. stick them, move. But he doesn't really have that either. He's just no, kind of just... stands in front of you like a faint, faint, faint. Oh, you threw. Okay, I got to step back. Yeah. It's frustrating. It is. It's a really just not uh, well-developed, well-rounded game. And too, like, you know, or it's like, you know, he was way faster than Jacob Malkoon in their fight and the striking mm-hmm. and just had like an easy uh, path to victory, it felt like. And then Malkoon just dis- discovered that Dobson didn't know how to defend a single leg at all. <laughs> and the fight was over. Dobson had no way to to get himself back into that fight because none of the technical knowledge for how to defend a single leg was in his game. Yeah. So, you know, and and Chukwe's got his problems as well. Yeah. Uh, You know, but he's... I'm I'm worried about him going back down to middleweight. I'll say that. Yeah, me too. I I don't... I didn't like him going up to light heavyweight as a... Six foot guy with the seventy seven inch reach, like he's big and he's really thickly built. But that felt like one, you know, that already felt like trying to find the solution to a problem. I mean, he probably should be a light heavyweight, just given his build. Like, surely this dude is cutting a lot of weight. Yeah, he's just a big man. He is a big man. His it's not even like his upper body, his legs, everything. He is a heavily built guy. 
Yeah, it's just no matter where he is, weight class is not going to be his problem. You yeah. Know? But I will say that middleweight, probably he feels a lot more comfortable just doing what he wants. He can yeah. bully people. He can people have to respect his bulk. And uh, he is not shy about having exchanges, you know, like he's he's going to get a fighter in Dobson who reacts to a lot of what he's doing to initiate his jabs and his feints um, and who is probably going to get himself cornered at points. And and as much as he can get uh, out wrestled, like by Jun Young Park, um, he's not super easy to out wrestle because he's so huge. He's strong. Yeah. Mercer Konov got in on a lot of those. Not a lot of those. Uh, takedown kick counters lasted very long or were even fully completed. Yeah. A lot of times when Chukwu was just like grabbing a guillotine, which he was clearly not going to finish, and, and but just like sheer strength, Mirzakhanov couldn't keep the takedown going. Um, so I, I have to pick on Chukwu here. I just... Yeah, I think I do too, just because I don't think Dobson, the way he fights, I don't think he's going to be a finisher at this level. No, like, not at all. And the fights he had before getting to the UFC were very low level. Yeah. You know, he was fighting for years, but that 6-0 and guy he fight on, fought on the Contender Series was far and away his best opponent. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if, if Dobson's not going to get a finish, then I trust Nchukwi's process a lot more, I guess. Mm-hmm. But both of these guys seem like they have been really poorly served by jumping into deep water early on in their career. And yeah, or for I mean, in in Dobson's in Dobson's case, I have to say he he looks like he's just been served by poor coach, poorly served by his coaching. Yeah, because he's been around and training for quite a while, and the pieces just aren't falling into place. Talking shit about Mark Coleman, Zane. I mean, it's one of his coaches. I know. You know, I, I Hammer House was a heavy bag on Mark Coleman's porch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love know? Mark Coleman. But yeah, I don't I don't know how sophisticated he is as a coach. And um, yeah, it doesn't if Dobson is an, is an indication of that coaching ability, then he doesn't really have a lot of depth to his game. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I, it feels it's also at this point, it feels more like Nchukwi is the guy with the potential who has been rushed and probably Dobson's potential was maybe wasted in the gym already. Yeah, unfortunately. <clears throat> so if Nchukwi wins, it'd be nice to see him back on the winning track. I, I would like to see him be like a way smarter, more technical version of your. Uh, who's the other big uh, middleweight meathead? Julian uh, Marquez type yeah, of guy. Julian Marquez, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he definitely doesn't have he doesn't have the anxiety that Marquez carries with him into the cage. No, he seems like a very calm, steady fighter. He's just slow, and he's been fighting good people whose styles are wrong for him. And it's he's only you know eight fights into his career or whatever. So yeah, so and Chuck, we opened at minus one thirty nine, currently minus one thirty four. Dobson opened at plus one twenty five, currently plus one twenty one. All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout. Josh Fremd. Oh, God, it's a six-fight main card. Yeah, against James. <laughs> Welcome back to the Fremd zone, Connor. <laughs> it's good to be back. Yeah. 
feeling you can, you feeling can buy friendly. Coffee, but it doesn't mean anything. I'm sorry. I'm feel I'm feeling just friendly in that way. Uh huh. We're just friends. Yeah, we're just friends. That's a shame. <laughs> just j- Josh friends. <laughs> Pushing it too far. Yeah. All right. This fight sucks. Um. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about Pickett a lot, and I'm really surprised he's still here because he doesn't he doesn't like the fight it is he is one of those guys that are out there who like you see them in the cage and you're like why did you choose to do this yeah like you seem like you hate this all the time and anytime you can be convinced to not hate it it's clear you're a very good athlete I say respect to the Jamie Pickett's of the world because, like, it's the competition he doesn't like, I suspect. You know, I'm, he probably loves the training. I'm sure, yeah. He really does like fighting. It's like maybe Jamie Pickett should be a coach, you know? Probably. Somebody who's very passionate about the sport, but, yeah, he just has competition nerves. Like, yeah, does not ever, ever look confident or comfortable in the cage, ever. Yep. Maybe. I remember that fight he had with Jordan Knight, and you're just like, my God, you put these two in together in a cage? Has any has any fight been between fighters who seem to hate fighting more yeah. than Jordan Wright versus Jamie Pickett? One guy who spends the whole fight going, no, 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 no. And the other guy screaming and crying while destroying him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Destroying his opponent in the way that you would like destroy the coat hanging in your dark closet with like a with like an umbrella because you thought it was a monster (laughs) uh and for in the case with friend i feel like i kind of saw this about before friend is no kind of good athlete if pickett decides that he wants to make this a contest of strength and power we just saw friend get guillotined by cedriquis dumas in a fight that friend was by all means, having his way with for a solid round plus of it. Yeah. A good athlete can always just turn things around on Josh Fremd. Well, didn't didn't he get Dumas? Oh, no, he, he that's right. He beat Dumas. Yeah, I was he, thinking. Did, he didn't look great doing it, but no, Dumas, Dumas was one of our fortunate. You know, I know this guy's a good athlete, but he does not look good. Yeah, that's right. It was Brundage that I was thinking of. Well, and Gore guillotined him. Yeah, that's I'm probably what you're conflating it with. So, but yeah, Trayshawn Gore guillotined him. That's right. Another he's, guy he's, you do not want to be getting guillotined by. Josh Friend is not a good athlete, but he's a hard worker. Yeah. And he will go out there and he will scramble a lot. Yeah. He will throw wild shots that uh, can get him to the clinch. He made it super tough for but, Anthony Hernandez. He almost yeah. outlasted Hernandez. Yeah. Um. And we've seen Jamie Pickett fight uh, Kyle Dacus. And Dacus is cleaner and more technical than Fremd. But it wasn't clean technique that got Dacus the win over Jamie Pickett. Yeah. It was just Dacus just went in there and just horsed him around and was like, oh, you don't like to fight? Great. I like to fight. Yep. And that was all. He, he just ran over him. And I kind of feel like Fremd can do that. 
I've never seen this before. On uh, on Jamie Pickett's record, he has a fight with Christian Torres. And the way they have written Dr. Stoppage, that's how he won, makes it look like somebody's name. Oh, you didn't win Dr. Dr. Stoppage. It's the capital S. <laughs> I've never seen that. <laughs> or the abbreviation of doctor. Usually they write it out when it's not a title. Yeah. Dr. Stoppage, PhD. Yeah. Um, MD, I suppose. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm also picking Fremd. Fremd likes to fight. He is a he is a hard-nosed um, fighter willing to be aggressive. He's got yeah. p- pretty good cardio. Um, he has got a reasonably well-rounded game. Probably he is going to feel like he's running into a wall the first time he tries to take Jimmy Pickett down. Yeah. And then probably it's going to get easier yeah. as the fight goes on because Jamie Pickett isn't going to like what's happening to him. Yeah. So I, I will absolutely this is one where I will happily pick against the obvious athletic advantage because uh it's all mental, man. And Josh yeah. Fremd, he has the mentality of a fighter, no question. Yeah, Pickett just does not have it. And it's just kind of wild to every fight he's gotten in the UFC is just kinda of wild to watch. It's like Yeah. Imagine know, the both. two of these guys fighting Fluffy Hernandez. Yeah. Jamie Pickett would would cry within four minutes. Yeah. Josh Fremd was trying to fluffy Hernandez, fluffy Hernandez yeah. the whole time he was in there. That's a vast difference. Pickett is a big underdog opened at plus two twenties, currently at plus two sixty nine. Fremd opened at minus two fifty four. is currently down minus three eighteen. Enjoy it. Josh Fremd gamblers will never be that kind to you again. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcasts and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.